Welcome back, Greenies, and thank you, Tulane University Marching Band, for the theme music. This is J.P. Gooderham, your host of Fear the Wave Cast, and you're back with us for not one, but two episodes this week. This one's going to be a little different. If you missed it, on Saturday, we posted what I thought was an awesome interview with Todd Graffanini, longtime voice of the Green Wave. He joined the podcast once again, but this time, he was telling us not just about his expectations for Tulane football this year, but... Also, his time on the air as the voice of the Green Wave, some of the memories he made over those years, and what comes next for him as he becomes the voice of Pelican's play-by-play. Really cool guy. Always appreciate his time. If you missed it, it's in the feed. Got to go back and check it out. Today, however, is going to be focused on one thing and one thing alone, and that is the fact that we are now about 48 hours, almost exactly at the time of this recording, from the opening of the Tulane 2019 football season and it's a huge game on on every level in my honest opinion there is a wave of expectations this year with Tulane coming off a bowl game they have not gone to -to back-to-back bowl games since the years of 1979 and 1980 they haven't been eligible to play in back-to-back bowl games since 1997 and 1998 I believe that's that's probably older than some of the people who are on this team so The stakes are high, but you have to put all that on the side and recognize the fact that there is a a really tough opponent that is coming our way on Thursday. Tulane is currently a two-point favorite, so very close to a virtual pick-em, and FIU is coming off a nine-win season. Uh, They are a formidable opponent with a great coach. They thoroughly dominated this game when they last played in 2017. This will be FIU's first trip to New Orleans But, you know, they were a a strong team throughout last year. But we're going to do two things today. First off, we're going to have Eric Henry, who is a beat writer on Underdog Dynasty, great G5-focused site. He's going to be joining to talk to us about the Panthers, not just what they did last year, but some of the storylines coming out of camp and what Tulane fans can expect come Thursday. Number two, we're also going to have Jeff Duncan. He's been on the podcast before, you know, a longtime columnist in in New Orleans. He's recently moved over to The Athletic. He's going to talk to us about some of the greater predictions for this season. So you can't miss either of those. It's a double-length episode. It's our second episode of the week. I mean, come on, what more can we do here to get you fired up for this game on Thursday? As always, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you're a subscriber. We always appreciate that. That's the easiest way to make sure that you get future episodes. We're going to be back doing this weekly throughout the season, so we're, we're kind of back in our game. And if you like it, the biggest thing you could do to help us is to tell somebody else, specifically a Tulane fan, that you enjoy the show. Try to get them listening to it. We always appreciate that. It's been awesome seeing the audience grow. But to put all that on the side, let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's learn about both FIU and what Tulane can expect coming in to Thursday night. Thank you all for coming back. Stay angry, my friends. Let's jump into this thing. All right, folks, really excited to have a great beat writer for us. He's with Underdog Dynasty, in my opinion, doing some of the best work of of any G5 media outlet. It's Eric Henry. Uh, He's done an awesome job previewing folks for this FIU team. Eric, how are you doing? Doing all right. It's just another beautiful day down here in South Florida. We got a little bit of a uh, weather pattern down here is supposedly coming our way, which I'm sure you guys know about down there. So hoping to beat that on the way out to New Orleans, but outside of that, can't complain. Are you going to be making the trip? Yeah, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be heading out Thursday morning. Very nice, man. Is this your first time or have you been here before? It's first time in New Orleans. So I'm definitely looking <laughs> forward to it. That's why I, I, I was hoping that I could, you know, kind of 
uh, swing it with the powers that be to get out a little bit earlier um, to explore the city a little bit, but I'll get there about seven something in the morning. So that'll give me time to try to find a decent New Orleans breakfast and then make my way over to Yolman Stadium. Yeah, you'll be fine, man. That's going to be a good time. Great to have you. Um, so let's let's go big picture for a moment. Obviously, I want to talk about this year's team and what Tulane fans can expect, but let me just back up for a second and, and talk to Tulane fans a, a little bit about where FIU has come from because in 2011, FIU appears in the beef of Brady's Bowl under head coach Mario Cristobal. The Panthers then go on a bowl drought that lasts until the 2016 season under Ron Turner. They even win only one game in one of those seasons. Uh, things turned pretty tough in South Florida. So Eric, talk to us. In comes Butch Davis in 2017. What has happened to the program since then? That's kind of the million-dollar question, right, JP? You know, how has a program that's historically been a Conference USA slash Sunbelt, you know, um, kind of just bottom dweller, managed to turn into a Conference USA powerhouse in just a few short seasons? And that, there's no quick answer for that. I kind of bring it down to a couple things. One, Butch Davis has managed to get the most out of Ron Turner's players that, quite frankly, Ron Turner couldn't get out of his own players. If you look at this roster, guys like Anthony Jones, Napoleon Maxwell, Austin Maloney, I can run down the list. Um, you know, half of the offensive line, a lot of guys on defense, Sage Lewis, Stanley Thomas Oliver, guys who, you, who Tulane fans will all see on Thursday. Those are all guys that Ron Turner recruited. And this is not a slight on Coach Turner who by all accounts is a very good man and a solid football coach, but this just wasn't the right environment for him. And when I talked to some of the guys, specifically defensive tackle, Anthony Johnson, who was in camp, graduated last year, was in camp with a couple teams this year. I believe he's up for the uh, XFL kind of tryout and doing his thing, but he's made kind of a comment that really caught my, my attention. He said to me, JP, that Turner kind of, you know, dissolved the love for football for a lot of these guys. He had Anthony Johnson ready to transfer back to Georgia and not even play football anymore. He said a guy like him and Jermaine Sharif, who also started a ton of games for this ball club last year, were buried on the scout team while other guys were getting reps that, quite frankly, the players felt weren't deserving. So that's step one. Step two is when you talk about Butch Davis, we all know about his track record at the University of Miami and things he's done in South Florida. Nobody can recruit this area in Conference USA like Butch Davis. One of the smartest things he did was assemble a staff. Coming back from North Carolina, he had been away from the area and been out of the college game for a handful of years, and he didn't try to walk into an 18-year-old living room and say, hey, remember me? I'm the guy who put together the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. And guess what? There aren't any teenagers who have any recollection of that. While their parents may, and they may steer him towards FIU, the kids don't. But what he did do was go out and hire guys like Tim Harris Jr., guys like Aubrey Hill, who were established high school coaches in South Florida and throughout the state, and say, hey, I want you guys to be my point men. I want you to bring me into the, the living rooms of top recruits in South Florida and sell me and sell this program, and they've done a great job. And then the last thing I'll point on really quickly is offensive coordinator Rich Skrosky, who he's managed to get the most out of two quarterbacks who really were on their last shot in terms of their college careers. Alex Magoo, who turned, ended up being a seventh-round pick with Seattle, not with Jacksonville, Magoo had an up-and-down career at FIU. A uh, guy who was a three-star recruit coming out of Tampa, Florida, was inconsistent, was actually benched by Ron Turner at times for uh, Maurice Alexander, who's actually the starting slot receiver on the team right now. He managed to turn him around and get the most out of him. And then this year, starting quarterback James Morgan. He was a guy at Bowling Green. I've uh, profiled a ton. 25 touchdowns, 22 interceptions in two and a half years at Bowling Green. 
fast forward, he turns out to be Conference USA's newcomer of the year, 26 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 66, 66% completion percentage. So Rich Skorowski and his offensive system has managed to get the most out of arguably the most important position on the field, which is quarterback position. So taking a look at this year specifically, FIU is coming off an eight-win season in 2017, a nine-win season in 2018. Kind of surprising, but I mean, there, there's a lot of contenders in Conference USA. Uh, FIU was not picked to win the East. They were picked second behind Marshall. A, does does that surprise you? And, and B, what is the expectation for this team, whether from the team itself or from fans? Like what, what does success look like this year for FIU football in year three of Butch Davis? I don't want to say it surprised me that FIU wasn't picked by the media. I was at Conference USA Media Days when that came out. Not necessarily surprised because FIU had a couple chances to make a statement win last year. They lost against Indiana opening game, which, okay, if you want to excuse, it's the opening game. They're playing a big James Morgan coming in, only had about 17 practices with the team before he was announced as the starter due to the transfer rules. You, you, you chalk that one up and you lose it, okay? Then they had a chance against, well, I shouldn't say they had a chance. They competed against Miami, but that wasn't much of a game. They were supposed to beat FAU. That that was the game that really sticks out for most FIU fans. FIU had a down year last year. They finished 5-7. and seven. They get their rival on their home field, get blown out 49-14. to 14. And then the final chance, last game of the year, Marshall at home to clinch a Conference USA East Division Championship and they fumble that one away 28-25. So I think that's more of the media members making the statement that's saying, hey, we all know how talented you guys are, but you're going to have to show us that you can take the next step and get that statement win with a, with a team that's equal in talent to you, if not better. And they'll get that chance against Tulane, you know, week one. So why not knock it out uh, week one and, and show what, what you can do? And then as far as the program itself, they've made no bones about it. You ask veterans like Maurice Alexander, Austin Maloney, Anthony Jones, they all say it's conference championship or bust. It's not, you know, hey, we're glad that we have the program going in the right direction. We're glad that we're leaving it in a better place than we got it. They firmly believe, which is, once again, I want to come back to the point about Ron Turner and kind of, he had kind of evaporated some of the confidence with the program is that Coach Davis is still a level of confidence and swagger and saying, hey, you guys have shown that you can win a bowl game. You've shown that you can make a bowl game. Now it's time to make that next step. And the coaches as well have gone on the record and said, hey, well, we've got to take that, take that next step week one and show that we are as talented as we think we are, but the expectations inside this building, and I'd say within the FIU fan base, are conference championship or bust. So one thing that you alluded to is that James Morgan was an extremely effective player last year. So he's a returning quarterback. He completed 66% of his passes. There's also a trio of strong running backs returning how would you describe the Panthers' offensive philosophy for this year, especially based on what you saw last season? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, JP, right? Because you're talking about an offense that led Conference USA in scoring last year. However, they're not necessarily a traditional, quote-unquote, high-powered, you know, throw-the-ball-down-the-field type offense. They really rely on their playmakers. So Rich Skrowski's offensive philosophy is simple. And, you know, a lot of offensive play callers will talk about this, but Skrowski actually calls the game in this fashion. It's really, he really prioritizes staying ahead of the chains, right? So for example, a one yard gain in his offense is just as good as say a three or four yard gain. Now I know on the surface that doesn't make sense, but he just doesn't want to get in those second and double digits and third and double digits. Offensive, uh, offensive line coach, Alan Mogridge has talked about that throughout the offseason. that that's why they felt they've, they felt that they've had that much success in terms of offense. 
And then with Morgan, it's really a matter of he's a, a big quarterback, 6'5", about 225 pounds. He has a strong arm, and when called upon, can make the throw down the field. But he really is most efficient when he can get the ball in the hands of his playmakers like Austin Maloney, like Maurice Alexander in the slot, and hit them on a four- or five-yard pattern and let them do the rest because they all are dynamic playmakers with the ball in their hands. As for the running backs, I mean, it's it, last year was a four-headed trio when you talk about a guy like Sean Darius Phillips. He's no longer with the program, but they have three guys who, in my opinion, JP, could be starters at the FBS level across the board or significant players. Devontae Price, Anthony Jones, and Napoleon Maxwell. So expect to see them uh, kind of that running back by committee. You know, each of them kind of has their own role. For Tulane fans, is something that they probably should look for is that Price is a guy who you'll see in the slot. He can be used as a receiver, uh, can come off on kind of like those jet sweep type of plays. But with Napoleon Maxwell, he's the strongest kind of straight line, straight ahead north-south type runner of the group. And then with Anthony Jones, uh, you guys may know his story. He was the, uh, the young man who unfortunately was shot in a drive-by shooting, missed eight weeks last year, miraculously recovered and still with us. But he has sneaky breakaway speed. He's a guy who he had an ACL injury, so doesn't quite have his speed that he that he may have once had coming out of high school, but still can take it to the house. Um, and as far as the the overall philosophy, once again, it's just something that really prioritizes staying ahead of the chains. And you'll see in the way that Rich Grossi calls the game on Thursday, uh, a one yard gain is just as good as a three yard gain. It's just all about keeping things going forward. So obviously, this is a high powered offense. We know that's going to be a strength of the team. And the Panthers were number one in yards per game last year in CUSA. Did anyone manage to slow them down? And and if so, what did they do? Like what, maybe looking at the FAU game, for teams that were able to limit that offensive success, what's the key in your mind? Provide pressure on the quarterback. You talk about the fact that FIU led Conference USA in scoring. What they also were was third in the nation in sacks allowed with eight. They only gave up eight sacks last year. They lost four members of that offensive line, but one of the things that's unique about FIU is they play eight to nine offensive linemen per game. So they have guys returning. They have six guys returning who have FBS experience and played a lot last year for them. If you can, if you can pressure James Morgan, because he's not the most fleet of foot guy. He's a solid athlete back there, and, I mean, he can scramble around to extend the play. But if you can provide pressure specifically up the middle and get up in James's face, you can cause turnovers. And he's a guy, once again, who only threw seven interceptions last year, but he threw two against uh, FAU. He threw two against FAU and two against Marshall. So the teams that have had success have just been able to pressure him. Eric, if you were looking at, at fall camp as a whole, what were one or two major storylines that FIU fans were following around this team as a, an area of interest? It's going to sound, you know, maybe mundane, but just the fact that James has been able to grow in his second year in the offense, I can't underscore this point enough. The guy only had 17 practices coming into last season. So he didn't really find his footing in the offense until about week four or week five. You know, he struggled against Indiana, had a solid second half against Old Dominion, struggled against Miami, but then really took off in games like Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State, where he really found his footing. So that was one one storyline that was consistent. And the second one was just all the changes on the defensive staff. Uh, it started with the unexpected resignation of defensive coordinator Brent Guy, who had to take a year off for health concerns, and then things kind of snowballed from there. Cornerbacks coach Eric Thatcher wasn't retained. In comes former North Carolina quarterback Bryn Renner, who was the recruiting coordinator for this team over the 
16, 17 months or so. Defensive line, we all talk about that ad nauseum, the fact that FIU just didn't play well against the run. They were 13th out of 14 teams in Conference USA in rushing guards, uh, giving up per game on average. So you remove a guy like Kenny Holmes with the defensive line coach, insert Kennard Lang, that's a change. And then lastly, Jeff Kopp. The expected hire was former Texas State head coach Everett Withers, who was Butch Davis's defensive coordinator in North Carolina. And we're still it's still kind of unclear whether the contract was signed or whether there was a verbal agreement, but essentially he was on the way to FIU, right? And at the last minute, a position opened up with the New York Giants. He decided to take that. No hard feelings, but said, hey, you know, go ahead and take that job. We completely understand. And they, it was getting close to the start of spring camp where they really needed someone in place. And they decided to promote Jeff Kopp, who was the linebackers coach. And he's a veteran. You know, he's a guy who's been coaching for 20 years at Utah State and, and various other stops. And I love the energy that he brings to the program because you can tell that he's really eager and excited that he has the opportunity. But that's a storyline that not only in the spring and in the fall, but you come around to week one, you'll have to look at because you're talking about a guy who's a first-year defensive coordinator. He's got to get used to calling the plays. He's got to get used to, you know, everything that comes with, is he going to be up in the box? Is he going to be down on the field? What's his interactions going to be like? He's going to share those responsibilities with Gerard Crucey as far as the co-defensive coordinator. Cop will still call the defense. But those will be the two major storylines that FIU fans have been looking at throughout the offseason. Eric, another thing I want to make sure that I hit with you is that a keynote from reading your preview is that FIU on defense, one of their challenges was uh, playing defense against the run. They gave up an average of 192 yards per game. We know Tulane's running attack is a, a really critical component of our offense and that the Green Wave returned some very effective backs in that backfield. What will the Panthers look to shape up this year? What, what does progress look like? Is it new personnel or, or what do you think is going to be the, the opportunity for them? That was really mysterious last year, JP, because it wasn't that they were lacking talent. They had a guy like Furman Silva, who was one of the best defensive ends in Conference USA, is now with Marshall, no longer with the program. A guy like Anthony Johnson, who, like I said, got some NFL interest. They have plenty of talent. Guys like Talon Humphrey and Tierra Tart, who were four-star Juco guys that came in last year. When you talk to the guys this year, and it sounds like coach speak, but when you really get into it and make sense, they've all preached technique and fundamentals, right? So to kind of expand on that a little bit, when I spoke to T.R. Tart in Media Day, he said, just personally for him, one of the things he's always been able to get by on is his athleticism. No matter whether it was high school or JUCO, he's just been more athletic than the guy in front of him and he'll go make the play. It doesn't necessarily work when you get to the FBS level. Another thing that he and defensive end Noah Curtis, the guy who, once again, if I was a Tulane fan, I'd keep an eye on, uh, led the defensive line in tackles of 49 tackles last year, high motor, high energy guy. He said that they had too many guys who just weren't playing their responsibilities, right? So, you know, the play call may call for a Noah Curtis or a defensive tackle to kind of steer the running back towards them and they'll make the play or steer it towards a guy like Sage Lewis and they'll make the play. But you can't have all seven guys in the front seven thinking that they're going to make the tackle. And that's something they emphasized last year. So it's not necessarily a change in personnel because – uh, this is a lot of the same guys who played last year, and I think that'll be interesting uh, storyline to keep an eye on to see how they perform. It's really a matter of can they play the scheme and do what's asked of them and execute effectively. And it's something that I wrote about ad nauseum. I'll definitely be looking forward to see what happens on Thursday because, as you mentioned, JP, Tulane has two very effective running backs, and you know they're going to get challenged week one. All right, Eric, it has been awesome having you on the show. Wealth of information uh, for everyone who wants to follow him. You got to find him on Twitter. 
He's Eric C. Henry underscore, or you can find his work on Underdog Dynasty. Eric, I want to close with one final question. If FIU wins this game, what is the major storyline of that game? And then on the flip side, if Tulane wins, what would you guess is the major storyline for FIU? I'm actually going to say those are one and the same. If Tulane wins, yeah, if if Tulane wins, the major storyline is going to be that, you know, despite all the talk in the offseason about we're shaping up the run defense, it just didn't come to fruition. And if FIU wins, uh, I think the flip side is, hey, we fixed our one major flaw last year and look out because that's the one thing that really stopped us from being a conference title team last year. So if, if they can, if they can effectively stop the run, there's no reason to think from the FIU perspective that they can't win double digit games, if not more than that. Um, but yeah, it's really one of the same. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a really exciting battle. I actually am really excited for uh, the Tulane defensive line, which is the the strength of the team this year, I would argue that, you know, they've received a lot of respect in the off season. They're returning a, a ton of talent, but we know there's some, there's, this is a really good offense. So I think both a combination of seeing where our DL shapes up and also how much a young secondary that's losing some guys like Rod Teamer uh, can really step up in week one and, and show what they're bringing to the table. I, I think those are exciting battles. So everyone, once again, that's, that's Eric Henry. Awesome having him on the show. Eric, thank you very much for your time, and we look forward to having you on Thursday, all right? Not a problem, man. Anytime. All right, folks, really excited today because he's making his second appearance on Fear the Wavecast. It is Jeff Duncan. He is obviously a longtime sports columnist in New Orleans, but recently now a columnist for The Athletic. Jeff, I'm a subscriber. I'm a huge fan of your team. You got former Tulane beat writer Will Guillory over there. I know you've joined, uh, but... How, how are things going? Tell us about life. Uh, and, and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, can you describe The Athletic a little bit and what you guys do? Yeah, thanks a lot. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a very, very difficult decision once the newspaper, the Times-Picayune, was purchased. And uh, basically, we were all kind of laid off um, from our jobs. It was a difficult decision for me about where I would, you know, go next. And uh, my only priority, top priority, was to stay in New Orleans. Uh, this has become home for me. I've lived here now 20 years. I love everything about the city, except for the potholes and the roads. <laughs> but I've, I've, it really has become kind of uh, my home. And it's just a great sports town. Tulane's a big part of that, obviously one of the, the largest employer in the city. And uh, the, the, I think the sports teams there, the athletic department, are ascending uh, we obviously know the storyline with the New Orleans Pelicans now with Diane Williamson and the Saints, obviously, um, long-standing uh, history in this city of uh, probably the most popular uh, fan base uh, sports team in, in, a, in the entire country. So uh, I wanted to stay here, and it worked out very well with the Athletic chose to uh, expand their coverage into New Orleans, uh, kind of dovetailing on this uh, resurgence and in interest in, in the Pelicans and Tulane and some of the other teams in town. Uh, it just kind of worked out perfectly, the timing. And it's an online subscription-based website. It's only sports coverage. It, it's not news or any other uh, features or anything like that. But what makes it unique is that uh, it's, it, its revenue is mainly generated by subscriptions, and that's different than most other outlets in that they've been based on advertising platforms 
And uh, I think it's going to work. It, it, it seems to be growing every day. Uh, we have an incredible roster of riders, not only locally. We have six uh, full-time uh, staffers here in New Orleans, but uh, we have over 350 reporters, not only across the country, but in Canada covering hockey and also now 50 to 60 editors and reporters in Europe covering the Premier League. So it offers readers a u- very unique um, content package in that if you're a Tulane fan and say you live in Seattle, Washington, you also want to follow uh, the local Seattle teams. Maybe you're transplanted there from New Orleans. You want to follow the New Orleans teams and you want to follow Tulane, but you're also a Premier League fan. You can get all of that in one site and you can tailor your homepage on the athletic homepage or on your app uh, to cover all those things and have all those feeds of those teams fed into your uh, into your app onto your homepage or onto your laptop. So I think it creates a really unique reader experience. And the thing that I think will be most interesting for Tulane fans is uh, they really encourage us to quali- quality over quantity. In other words, uh, you know, Gary Smith does a great job for the advocate and now the Times Picayune of covering Tulane on a daily basis. Uh, we're not going to be doing that for the most part. We're not going to have a, a daily presence on Tulane. But what we will give uh, Tulane fans is a deep dive into things that's going to be much different than they've experienced before. Uh, for instance, my colleague Larry Holder, who's on, been on the athletic staff for a year, has been working on a profile of, of Patrick Johnson for well over a week. I think a couple of weeks he's had time to talk to his high school coach and you know teammates and things like that where you're really going to get to know this kid who's emerged – on the scene nationally, I think, as an elite player, elite pass rusher, uh, where we would not probably have had time to do that story at the time speaking or NOLA.com. Those are the kind of stories you can look forward to on Tulane. It might not be something daily, but you're going to get something you're not going to see anywhere else on Tulane Athletics. Okay, that was that was compelling, Jeff. And and I, I can just say as a subscriber, and, and, you know, this is just my personal opinion, it's awesome. I mean, you, you guys just have a great team, both locally and then on the national level for Tulane fans. Um, Chris Vanini, he's done Fear the Wave cast. He, he's the G5 rider. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really strong right. team. So great having you in the mix. And you uh, you also published your kind of annual crystal ball, which you now brought over to The Athletic. And I wanted to ask you kind of point blank, getting to brass tacks, you know, Tulane has not gone to back-to-back bull uh, gone to back-to-back bowls since the 1979 and 1980 seasons. You're predicting that Tulane will have a winning season this year. So, Jeff, let me, let me ask you, why are you a believer? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, I really think the key for the program right now is the stability that has been established now with the coaching staff. You know, almost the entire staff is back intact, except for Will Hall, an offense coordinator, who – I think is a major upgrade. I think Will Hall is a huge get for Willie Fritz. I think having the stability of Coach Fritz there for a while now, he's built depth through a few recruiting cycles, so they have better depth along both lines, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I felt like last year was really kind of a transition year, and they kind of overachieved there. I think getting Justin McMillan midseason into the starting lineup, uh, they win five of the last six games. I think it's kind of accelerated uh, the rebuilding program, and they kind of achieved more than maybe they even thought they would a year ago. Winning that bowl game, I think, was huge 
for the perception and image of the program. I think it helped in recruiting. And uh, now going into this season, I think you can just feel the momentum of the program. They're, they're getting better players in there. Uh, the players believe in what they're being taught. I mean, I think that's a big thing. It's the buy-in from the players. If they didn't win that bowl game, I, I think, you know, that that's not, it doesn't quite get the attention of the locker room the way it does when you have success. Success breeds success. And I just look at that defense. I think it's a well-coached defense. What I was most impressed with the last couple of years, even when the team was not winning big, uh, if watching the way the team performed, uh, you can tell it's a well-coached team. They don't beat themselves. Uh, the problems that long hindered Tulane, you know, some of the disciplinary issues they had under Curtis Johnson, uh, turnovers, penalties, special teams blunders, all those things have been corrected in the Willie Fritz regime. And so they end up, I think, kind of outperforming their talent level. I don't necessarily think the team is the greatest uh, talent in the world, but you just see them in these games in the fourth quarter. They play a lot of close games. They compete, and they invariably don't beat themselves and win a lot of these close games. And I think that's what they're in for again this year. I think having McMillan back at quarterback, stability at that position, you've got playmakers, uh, obviously at receiver, uh, Jalen McCleskey, we've heard about him now for a year. Coach is very excited about him. The depth at running back with Bradwell. Uh, you know, there's a number of guys there uh, that can make plays out of the back. Corey Dauphine, I was very very impressed with him a year ago. Um, and then the defense just, you know, I don't look at, across. It's almost like a no-name defense other than Patrick Johnson. A bunch of players, when you watch them, I think the, the whole is better than the individual parts. The sum is better. Uh, the way they perform, and I think that goes back to Coach Curtis and how well coached they are. And I like the schedule. I think the schedule this year is tough in that it, it there's a lot of challenging 50-50 games like this opener against Florida International. I think it's a coin flip game. It could go either way. But I like the fact that it's at home. I think they've got a few of those games this year where they get them in Yulman Stadium. Uh, and I just feel like the momentum of the program is going in the right direction. They've fixed some of the areas that they needed to fix over the years. And they've been pointing to this season for the most part uh, as the year that they could break out. Uh, now they're going to have to beat one of these kingpins, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe a Central Florida. Uh, you know, they don't get Cincinnati. That's good this year on the schedule because I think Cincinnati is going to be really good. They're going to have to beat a Memphis. They've had trouble with over the years. Uh, they get Houston at home. Uh, I think to make that run to win the West, to get in the championship game, they're going to have to take the next step. And I don't really have them doing that in my crystal ball, but I've got them right there, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do do that. Uh, I'm just, I think, maybe being a little more realistic uh, in where they're at as a program compared to, say, Houston and, and Memphis at this point. So, Jeff, you gave me a lot to unpack there, and, and I, I agree with so much of it. Looking at Thursday night, I mean, at the time we're talking, we're about 48 hours away from the opening kickoff. Tulane's playing Florida and Florida International, which might not feel like a household name to some people, but... As you allude to, they're a really good team. I mean, Butch Davis has done, I think, a, a phenomenal job of really resurrecting that program. They're coming off a nine-win year. How important is this game specifically to the overall landscape of the season, in your view? Well, I think it's huge. I, I think it it could make a make-or-break game in a way if we look back on it. Now, it's not going to tank the season, but I think you you could look back on that game and it could be the difference between uh, say a, a certain level of bowl game and 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 not if you lose it. 
I think, I mean, clearly the Vegas Sharpies think it's a toss-up game. I think Tulane is a two-point favorite. I'm not a big Vegas or a betting guy at all, but You're I right, do though. know that yeah. when you have, you know, it's usually a three-point advantage, so they think this is just about a, a coin toss game. I think both programs are at similar points in their development. Uh, both have good quarterbacks, uh, so I do think that Florida International beat beat uh, Tulane. Of course, Tulane fans know this a couple of years ago, uh, but I think this Tulane team's a lot better than that team a couple of years ago, uh, and I think the home field advantage will be enough to put Tulane over the top, but I do think it's a very dangerous game uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, Florida International's won a bowl game as well. They're used to winning. They've got a lot of players back, and a lot of good athletes from the Florida area, just like Tulane does. So I think it's going to be a, a game that is decided by who executes best and who makes the fewest mistakes, who's most ready to play this game uh, in week one, uh, and, and who can maybe deliver a big play in the fourth quarter to, uh, to pull it out. So another thing that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on, you know, obviously Houston and Memphis have been the top dogs in this AAC West division. They look like they're going to be that way again this year. Tulane did take down Memphis. They've got them on the road. They do get Houston at home, as you mentioned. What I find interesting is that Willie Fritz has been really pretty vocal, and at least from from my opinion, of saying, you know, a bowl is not good enough this year. We want to see ourselves as as conference championship contenders. So, Jeff, as your view, do you feel like they're they're not there yet to be in that conversation, or do you see that maybe they're not in the door, but the door is open? How do you look at that? Well, I think they're right there on the doorstep. I just feel like Houston and Memphis are probably a little bit ahead of them. I think they're a little more established. I'm interested to see what Dana Hogerson does at Houston, stepping in there. I mean, that program's got a lot of talent. They have Derek King. Uh, as a Heisman candidate, a quarterback. Um, I just feel like that program's probably in Memphis as well. is probably a little ahead of Temp- uh, Tulane, but I do think the thing I like about what I see at Tulane when I'm out talking to the players, talking to some of the staff is everybody's into it. I mean, they feel like they're on the rise. They feel like they're an ascending program. So there's a hunger there. There's a hunger to achieve. And I think that was fueled by last season's success down the stretch. I mean, if you were at some of the games mid-season when this team started slowly a year ago, uh, that was gone. That energy was not there. And by going with McMillan, I think it ignited things. And I don't think Justin McMillan was the, the sole reason the team finished the way it did. I think he just gave them a little bit of a spark, and sometimes a change is, is needed for change's sake. And I think he he helped solidify the quarterback position and then the team kind of took off, and it kind of uh, was a self-perpetuating cycle. It just started uh, snowballing uh, the momentum, and they rode it all the way to the bowl game. And I thought that bowl game was a dominant performance. I mean, that game was not as close as even the final score indicated. But I do think that you know, you're going to have to go to Memphis, a place that you've not had success in in the past. Uh, Memphis has got a good program. I think Houston and Memphis are quality quality programs, and I don't think it's – anything negative to say if Tulane gets in those games and doesn't win, as long as they're competitive, I still see that as a very positive for where they're at um, in the big picture. Uh, now, if they get in a game like that and get beat by 30 points or something, I think it's a, I think it's you know, an indicator that they've got a lot farther to go than I even thought. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't see this team getting blown out, as you could tell by the crystal ball predictions in any games, including the, the Auburn game which I think is going to be a great 
guess, benchmark for this program and how far they've come uh, in Willie Fritz's tenure. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I won't give it away. You know, like I said, everyone go take a look at the article, but you do have that Auburn game as a close one. And I think for Tulane, you know, we obviously a, a philosophy of the program right now is basically to do one of these buy games each year. Um, it's a big revenue opportunity. It's actually the number one highest paid buy game this year uh, of any team, any team from the G5 playing against a power five program. So for Tulane to go and compete in a way that they just weren't able to against an Ohio State or an Oklahoma, I think would be really exciting. The other thing that you touched on that I, I wanted to get back to, though, I mean, obviously an X factor for this year is uh, Will Hall coming in at offensive coordinator. He was a, a sought after candidate for a number of jobs. Um, I, I think his vision is really exciting with moving Tulane to a more up-tempo style of really developing the passing attack and, and his feeling very comfortable working with quarterbacks and developing Justin McMillan. What do you think, if, if you're a Tulane fan, Jeff, what should we hope to see out of this offense this year? What do you think the key is for us to take that next step? Well, I, I think Will Hall will bring a little bit more sophisticated offense. Uh, the passing attack, I think, is going to be uh, much more sophisticated in that it will incorporate more components. Uh, you know, there was nothing wrong with the offense before to some degree. Uh, I think it worked, but it, would only, it was only going to get Tulane so far, I think, uh, especially at the level they're trying to achieve, and that is going against the Houstons of the world and, and Central Florida and Memphis. I think they had to make that change uh, and become more sophisticated. The way the, way the game has evolved at, at the college level, at the upper levels of college football, it's a lot like the NFL, and you can't really rely on one base uh, you know, attack to uh, be successful. Um, we see that all the time with, say, say like the – academies that go in and play uh, they, they can succeed at a certain level but they're not going to succeed once they get to a higher level and I think Will Hall who's a much as you mentioned much sought after guy a guy that I think will be coaching at the highest level of college football I don't know how long he's going to be at Tulane but they're going to have to fight off a lot of programs that tried to hire him already and they're definitely going to uh, be at his door if he's successful like I think he will be uh, at Tulane I know from co- uh, sources in the coaching community um, talking to them, I mean, they think Will Hall is going to be an SEC uh, offensive coordinator in the very near future, that, that he could have already done that. But he likes Willie Fritz. He understands it's a positive environment here. I think it's a feather in the cap of Willie Fritz and, and the program, a, a good indicator of where it's at, that Will Hall decided to come here and be a part of it. Uh, because he, I don't think he, that's a good example of a, a coach. I don't think they could have gotten here, you know, four or five years ago. And Will Hall is going to, I think, uh, the best example I could give you. I think they're going to say incorporate the running backs in the passing game more than they have in the past. Uh, you know, get the tight end involved. You know, make it a more sophisticated passing uh, attack that threatens the defense on all levels, as opposed to maybe just the deep passing game. When, when I remember Willie Fritz taking over, he said, you know, they ran that flex kind of bone uh, rushing attack, and then they would hit you with the deep ball once you started cheating up in the secondary. So that, you know, you had the vertical passing game, and then you had the running attack. Now I think they're going to be a little more sophisticated in their passing attack and incorporate the backs at the, at the you know, obviously the, the base level and then the intermediate level and the deep level as well. And, and that will cause defenses to be a little more honorable and how they defend the running game, which I think is going to be a huge strength under Will Hall. And I know it was something that Willie Fritz 
wanted him to maintain was some of the uh, concepts that have been successful for his offense in the past in the running game. And if it didn't broke, you don't fix it. And they've got great backs there. I mean, I think the, I think Tulane's backfield is as good as any in the conference and certainly as good as any group of five program in the country. I've really been impressed with the running backs. If you were – how do I want to put this? Okay, so if you're looking at the, the broader New Orleans sports landscape right now, I think there's a lot of excitement around a lot of teams. If you were buying stock right now, and we were going to talk about this one year from this date, Jeff, and, and we're trying to say – which team is going to exceed expectations the most? Would you go with Tulane, the Saints, or the Pelicans? Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I, I would have to say, to be honest with you, the Pelicans, because I think I'm pretty bullish on the Pelicans. I, I think they're going to be really good. But I think Tulane is going to be uh, has the potential to be the best of those, th- of those three to, to exceed expectations the potential's there. Uh, now, whether they can pull it off or not, I think a lot of things have to go right for them. Um, but I do think there's reason for optimism. Some of the things we've talked about, uh, attracting good coaches, uh, retaining the staff that he's retained, the stability there, that's a, always a good indicator. Uh, coaching world is a, a small niche uh, community, and they all talk to each other. And the fact that most of the coaches have stayed here and the only changes have been ones that have been implemented from Coach Fritz, I think is a very positive sign. No one's looking for a new job. They like the environment there. The fact that players aren't running into the transfer portal from from Tulane, uh, as Coach Fritz has mentioned, is a very positive sign. And now they've just got to kind of gradually increase the talent level, I think, in the depth. And they've done that a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. They've done that at receiver. I think Jalen McCleskey is an elite talent. Um, the running backs I've mentioned, they've got to continue to build on that and continue to get some of the, say, some of the offensive linemen, the, uh, develop those guys, you know, if they can get them from Texas and Louisiana and, and be able to, I think, to, to stand toe to toe annually with Houston and Memphis. And, and if they can do that, I think it, the program will have been a success. And I think it will be seen as a success in the eyes of Tulane fans. Uh, given some of the, uh, you know, let's face it, some of the hurdles and challenges they have at a school like Tulane competing in a conference as difficult as uh, the American could be against institutions that don't have the same challenges uh, that Tulane faces uh, in the athletic program. Jeff, really appreciate your time as always. Great perspective on on Tulane and, and where you see us going this year. Everyone who's listening, if you haven't already, I already said it. You, you got to subscribe to The Athletic. It's absolutely worth every penny. Uh, just a great roster of talent. Jeff, thank you very much for coming on the show and have an awesome night, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Let me give you one last plug for everybody, a little tease for everyone out there. Uh, I will have a great story for Tulane fans the week of the Auburn game. Just uh, If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you'll find out about it on social media, but it's something you're not going to get anywhere else, and I promise you you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, the week of the Auburn game, uh, let's just say it's going to be a little special opportunity, a little special access to the Tulane football program as they go and try and slay the giant uh, on the plains of Auburn in that big game in week two. I'm on the edge of my seat, man. And actually, I know I just tried to wrap it, but I got one more question. Did I see uh, Duncan sure. Holder is coming back? You're bringing the podcast back? Yes, actually, we started yesterday, so we'll have it twice a week. And we will definitely be touching on Tulane on there. Uh, you can find that on uh, the athletic website, also on the app. 
So Larry and I will be touching on the Saints, Pelicans, Tulane, LSU, anything New Orleans related. But every uh, it'll broadcast every Tuesday and every Friday. So hopefully every Friday will be something of a preview of Tulane game, a preview of the LSU game, preview of the New Orleans Air sports scene, and then a little bit of a wrap-up on the Monday-Tuesday pod. Okay, I can dig it. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for your time again. Really appreciate you coming on the show and, you know, have fun. Uh, I think it's going to be a great sports year. So really glad to to be able to get your perspective as the year goes on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, let's do it again sometime before the season ends. All right, see you, Jeff. All right, folks, and that is going to be our show for this evening. Big thanks to both Eric and Jeff. It was great having both of them on to get perspective. I, I don't think we need to sell this anymore. Thursday's a huge game. It's as simple as that. I will say this, I mean, for anyone who's listened to this show at all, you know I'm like a chronic optimist. And with that being said, Tulane is going to be up against the Saints game. It's also a Thursday night game, which unfortunately we always have trouble drawing on. So if you can make it out there or you can bring a friend or whatever it is, I'm telling you, please do it. Because anything we can do to help the team in this tough game is going to be big. Uh, And if you can't do it, make sure you're watching on TV. We're obviously going to be covering all of our people in the press box. And we'll be running our thing on Twitter. But Most of all, just excited for football to be back. So thanks again for coming back to Fear the Wavecast. Please continue to spread the word. And most importantly, stay angry, my friends.